Welcome to Cinebabble, episode 76. I am your host, Ken, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, man who will be hosting the 2023 Academy Awards, even though he hates the Oscars and all things award show, Clint Jones. Clint Jones, are you prepping your monologue? Are you ready for some good jokes to get glares from celebrities? It's going to be very controversial, Ooh. and I'm really hoping I might get slapped ah, perfect. by maybe multiple people. Perfect. Did yeah. you watch the Netflix special with Chris Rock? No. That they showed live. I didn't either. I just heard like he really kind of erupts on on Will and Jada at the end, but it was kind of obvious. And mm. some people just loved it, and other people were just like, "That's it. You've had a a year to come up with your best material for this, and <laughs> and you just get really angry at them and kind of I don't know. I didn't it's watch probably it, one so. of those things like where your brain just can't get something very like snarky and thoughtful. It's just like you're just angry about it and after a year everybody's <laughs> told the jokes yeah like there's as, as a professional comedian i think that would be really frustrating because even when it's something about your life like you want to be original you want to have something that nobody else has but there's only so much you can say about a man walking up a stage and slapping you in the face yeah and you're probably trying to resist the urge to think about it constantly because yeah. it just makes you mad yeah. and then to put the work into like coming up with some bits about it probably is i don't know what kind of just frustrating and yeah uh, now annoying. have you followed kind of the the resurgence of everything everywhere uh it's winning oh yeah, yeah all yeah. the awards i've been watching um, a bunch of interviews with them going yeah, around and yeah. uh it's really like it the, looks like it's really going to kind of barrel into the oscars and take a whole bunch of stuff and i know you don't care about awards but at the same time, I know when we talked about that movie and how much we loved it, there was there was kind of that feeling that it had come out too early uh-huh. and how easily it could be got forgotten come awards season. And that's the unfortunate because of the awards season cycle. It's very easy for an incredible movie to sort of be overshadowed uh, really for years to come by whatever took all the awards that year. Well, also, I didn't even think about it in those terms too much like really it wasn't that it was too early it was just like the content of that film i could see just being overlooked by that kind of thing and i'm i'm pleasantly surprised i think the only thing that irritates me and i want to get your opinion on it uh we we had three people write in about this exact thing um after our feedback episode last week but it's it's one of those things where um you have you have a film that is objectively excellent mm-hmm. uh, and different in all these things. But it at times feels like the the thrust of the awards is how much fun it is to watch Michelle Yeoh get hugged by Jamie Lee Curtis and and see Kwan up there just like, wow, he's – you know what I mean? And And I don't know – I think that's fun, but it also kind of irritates me and highlights the fact that award shows really aren't about honoring – the best movies, they're they're much more about the best stories and the the people that deserve it this year and the people that would be a good story to see win this year. And not that it's necessarily a bad thing. I just I feel like it makes the whole process hollow. I wish award shows were much more about exposing people to movies that they might not have otherwise known about. I don't think it hasn't bothered me at all because I've already felt that way about yeah. all those that it was just it's just kind of pointless and like I don't like art being um, kind of pitted against itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's silly. So to see them just so happy, it, it, it makes me happy. Yeah. It really I, does I make me happy. I definitely agree with that. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm talking more about the response 
that that it reveals, but at the same time, like the uh, response from who? So so your voting block. It just I. Uh, I'm not upset about this because I love the story. I love that they're winning, and I think this is a movie that they deserve to. Mm-hmm. And they seem like genuinely cool people that are that are past their due. But it feels like it highlights the voting block is not looking at movies in terms of like what you're talking about of movies trying to compete against other movies, art competing against art. So it's almost like the voting block, the whole system behind award shows understands that it's ridiculous to compare art to art. Mm -hmm. So if everybody agrees on that, isn't there a better format than an award show to showcase movies Uh uh, or, or to highlight some really standout things of the year? Does does that make sense? It's it's almost like a, like a contradiction. Well, I mean, I think just if they just did the, the thing of like, let's get together and celebrate the things that we've made this year yeah, yeah, and without even the like necessity of having these com- like, kind of competition between these groups yeah. and one wins out. Yeah. It's more you could get together and just recognize like yeah. kind of like those Hollywood roundtable mm-hmm. conversations. Those are great. Those are great. And like they're all like uh, feeding off each other and talking about what they enjoyed about yeah, the what they did with their their performances or their directing or writing, um, if it was somehow like it was just that almost like these are the movies that stood out and like we're gonna get together and just talk about them and the accomplishments that were made doing this that yeah. that would be, like that would be interesting in itself. Yeah. yeah, no, I agree with that. Mm. Uh, which I guess just brings us straight to what really matters, which is movies. Clint, what you watching about? First, uh oh. You, that we, means I always hate when you do that because I cue it up perfectly and then I know oh, I was trying, the song is not going to hit right after my. Well, I was trying to sneak this in there. This, okay. And this was a bit of like because we were talking, you know, about the, the wards and like and there's a bit of other movie news that okay. I had just, just recently. Don't play the song. I'll recue it. Okay. Give me my moment. I, I'm, but go, I'm going to. Let's, let's hear this I'm other movie to. news. Just, you just got to like them. Give me a breathing point where I can maybe slip something in there. I will do that. So um, I'll do that. And I appreciate that. So I don't know if you heard about this, but there's, um, there's, I just read about this, like literally before I came over here, but did you hear that Mike Flanagan is remaking the movie, The Room, but for charity and Bob Odenkirk is playing Tommy Wiseau's character? No. (laughs) 100% down for this. Yeah. No. Yeah, it's so crazy. Every word of those sentences was incredible. (laughs) I was so surprised when I read that. That sounds so fun. Yeah, yeah. And do they have other people just just coming and playing all the other parts? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think like I read – the only thing else I read was like Mike Flanagan's wife plays a couple roles. Um, That sounds so fun. Yeah, Bob Odenkirk's the one that I – was the standout I mentioned. Well, Um, now I'm glad you interrupted my flow because that's (laughs) – that's fantastic. Yeah, and news. it's for charity. Like, uh, some, oh, that's even cooler. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Um, now, is that something that's going to be available? I'm sure to it watch is. Or yeah, okay. Yeah, because sometimes you'll hear about something that's really cool, and if you're not in Hollywood at the venue that it's happening, there's no, just it's, no way to see it. I don't think it's like a live okay. performance thing. It's like they're fil- they're remaking the movie. <laughs> awesome, awesome. <laughs> oh, that is just. That's special. Yeah. That's genuinely special. Okay. So let me, uh, here you go. Okay. So, you know, speaking of the room in movies, uh-huh. uh, see, now I just, I don't have it. That was terrible. Uh, it's just, 
Ken, it's fine. I'm in a corner. What you watching, Clint? What you watching? What about, you Ken? watch? I can't even get it right. What you watching about? What you watching about? What you play the song? Okay. <laughs> what you Ken, I don't know if the first thing I'm going to talk about is um, I've been watching this new series on Apple, and it's called um, Shrinking. Mm, yes, um, with Harrison Ford, with Harrison Ford and, and Jason, Jason Siegel. Um, and have you seen any of this? I have watched the first two episodes. Yeah, yeah. And I I started this show, and I think it's it's by some of the people who are do. Um, Oh, what Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. Yep. And I think it was the showrunner of maybe Scrubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I I would say I was not on board with the show at first. Like I it was sappy, um, kind of uh, You're describing where I'm at right now. <laughs> it was very sappy and like there was the music cues that are just over the top, and it's a little okay. it's a I wasn't into this show, but I like have come been, around and tell me it changes. I've been pushing through. Okay. And the thing that's really got me is Harrison Ford's performance. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very different from anything he's done before. Really? Because the first two episodes feel very Harrison Ford. Well, he's definitely a Harrison Ford type. Okay. But it gets a lot softer and there's a lot of like things with he's like dealing with his health and his um, relationship with his daughter (laughs) and stuff that goes a lot further than anything I've seen him do. And a lot more like the sappiness of the show really works with him. And as I'm going, like Jason Siegel, I'm warming up to all the other characters, and you kind of settle into the, the kind of schlockiness of it mm-hmm. and over-the-top nature mm-hmm. of of the sincerity of it. Um, but at this point, I'm hooked in, into into it, and I'm enjoying it. Okay. Um, I'll have to give it another – well, continue through. Just keep watching because it, and it, maybe it'll suck you in. Like maybe It, it wasn't bad. No. It just – it wasn't – it hadn't hooked me enough yeah. for all the reasons you said to keep me going through. It just... I I stopped watching it. I was like, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to watch that. And then like a couple piled up and I think it was when I was sick, I um, decided to like, okay. it's something easy to watch and kind of um, relaxing and it, it, it won me over a little bit. Okay. Uh, well, I have been going to the theater uh, by myself oh, out of... The theater. Boredom, the theater. And I have definitely seen two of the most theater movies uh, possible. (laughs) Uh, The first one I'll talk about now, uh, Cocaine Bear. Oh. Now, you and I discussed the possibility of seeing Cocaine Bear, and you were kind of shocked that I was was genuinely excited. genuinely uh, shocked that you were mentioning it, like, over and over, and you were actually interested yeah, in yeah. this thing. I because it's such a ridiculous concept. Yeah, and and I I realize but based there, on a true story, it is vaguely, <laughs> but I, and I understand that ninety nine ways this movie could be made. Yeah, it's it's going to be terrible and schlocky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so I I went to see it because I can't resist the urge to watch a movie called Cocaine Bear mm-hmm. that's actually coming out in the theater, and so I went. And uh, I, I will tell you, I went with my my son, who's 18, and two of his friends. So let's just put that yeah. into context. Yeah. We had the best time. <laughs> this movie made me laugh so hard. And I totally get all the hate for it and some of the the, the opinions people are, are writing about and having. Uh, but, man, this was uh, – it was, it was right in that 21 Jump Street humor style. Yeah. Uh, and it has some of the same uh, production team that did 21 Jump Street. Um, but it's it's that same kind of 
it knows it's ridiculous. It knows what it's doing. Yeah. And it has a good enough cast to really lean into it and make it fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just, I, I had an absolute blast with this movie. I'm not guaranteeing I'll love it on second watch, yeah. but I will watch it again. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm definitely leaning towards being pretty sure you'll hate it. I, I hate um, the trailer. Well, it makes me angry every time I see it. And, wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, you're... Mm, uh, mm, and okay. I think another thing, like, there was a point in my life where my things that I liked in my, like, tw- or, like mid-20s, yeah. I don't, like, like 21 Jump Street or uh-huh. something, I don't think I would go back with the same uh, gotcha. amount of uh, enthusiasm and enjoyment okay. now that I did then. Um, so... If it's got that to it, I don't think I'm going to enjoy it very well, much. And, and one of two things is going to happen. Yeah. This is either going to, in the next week or two, when I end up watching it again, mm-hmm. this is either going to be uh, my latest Thor Love and Thunder mm-hmm. that I love, defend, and then realize the error of my ways. Or your Ghostbusters Afterlife. Or my Ghostbusters Afterlife, yeah. where I am going to fall in love deeper and deeper with this movie, mm-hmm. uh, much to your just shock and horror. Mm-hmm. And you're going to spend our best of 2023 list trying to figure out how in God's name Cocaine Bear is being uttered <laughs> on our best of the year list. Um, I, I really feel like it's going to go either way. And I recognize objectively it is not a great movie. Mm-hmm. It just it hit this sweet spot for me. I had a grand time. Yeah. Uh, it, it surprisingly gets, it kind of teeters off in the third act, mm-hmm. uh, which usually happens in the middle act of a movie like this. This was more at the the back end, but just the supporting characters were funny. Everybody was fun to watch and everybody was clearly just having a blast mm-hmm. making a stupid movie. So good times were had. Well, that's good. Without cocaine. I walked out and I looked at Levi and his friends and I was like, okay, kids, what did we learn? Drugs are bad. <laughs> and <laughs> yep. That's that's the it's not quite requiem for dream, but you're definitely going to take a lesson about you know maybe maybe I shouldn't try cocaine. That is this generation's <laughs> requiem for a dream. <laughs> Actually, that tracks. <laughs> really, it, that that makes me deeply deeply sad. Uh, yeah, it's like TikTok generation. Uh, yeah, requiem yeah, for but a dream. You're you're absolutely correct. <laughs> so, what else you've been watching? I um. A watch. Okay, so I had another weird weekend where it wasn't exactly a sick weekend for okay. me, but my my um, cat got spayed, and so she, we just had her cooped up in this room trying to keep her away from other cat and to rest. And like I was, and I so I just stayed in there with her like for like two three days, okay, like keeping her calm and like she was just sleeping and that's dedicated and, and um and just making sure like she was like we had never had that done to a cat before yeah. so we were just kind of overly cautious and didn't yeah. want her to bust open her guts or anything yeah disembowelment's bad yeah it's bad so i watched a bunch of stuff and i the one thing that i watched that has been really sticking with me is this um documentary that's on hulu currently and that's called fire of love you mentioned this to me yeah yeah it's it's about two like a couple yeah volcanologists which is not about star trek it's volcanoes yes they they study volcanoes and you pronounce it that way volcanologists yeah yeah, volcanologists i guess it sounds better than volcanoologists Um, and this is directed by Sarah Dosa, and uh, actually, this is narrated by Miranda July. Mm. And it was one of those things where 
I immediately, like it started and I didn't know that she did this. And I immediately, and I was like, that voice sounds very familiar. And I was like, is that Miranda July? And then it popped up. And I Mm -hmm. was like, that's very strange that I guessed that. And also thought it was very strange that someone thought to use her as a narrator narrator because I never really thought of her having this very mm-hmm. unique narrator voice but I can hear it now that you're now but that you it say works it works perfectly and it mm-hmm. like adds this whole other level and like she did a fantastic job cool. of just adding this whole new dimension to it and to like the love angle of it now is this one of those documentaries you're going to talk me into and I'm going to be sad at the end or is this just a really interesting kind of people documentary it, it's both because okay. well it's very upfront at the beginning they die in, oh, okay. in a in a um, good so eruption. no like gut punch at the end no 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 it, right. it definitely builds towards just because like they up front they're like this is their last day like they show like this mm. is their last day and then they go back and show their life and how they met in their okay. whole career of of did studying they vol- just die or did the volcano take them out? it was an eruption oh, yeah yeah wow. it was yeah okay. they d- they died huh. doing what they loved like they fell in love over volcanoes yeah. like in in they that was their whole career and that's what they did all, their whole life. Which is kind of like kind of like the Grizzly Man doc, except the Grizzly Man doc just felt really like, why are these people? I get volcanoes. You know, you have scientists, I mean, you have geologists. It's that's that's different than than you know. We're yeah. so close to these wild animals. Let's <laughs> let's hug them. Let's just they accept us now. We're we're part of the tribe. Ah! Well, and that uh, we uh, I can't remember the name of it. We watched a documentary about um, these mountain climbers the the cliff climbers that are just freestyling doing this and it's just like you're like amazed and you're like i know where this is going yep Yep. everybody keeps talking in the past tense about this guy and you can see that a little bit in this like just with like the risks they're willing to take to get as close as possible but to like get the information that they're trying to get but at the same time like you understand like especially or there's a halfway point where they are really going into why they're like studying this and yeah. like for the benefits of it. Yeah. And, um, but man, they have, they, and they did such a good job of documenting their, their journey of doing this. And yeah. so there's all this beautiful hmm. like footage through from the sixties up to the nineties of like eight millimeter, 16 millimeter going through all, you can see the formats change yeah. and, um, and they are really good, um, videographers and uh photographers mm-hmm. and it, it's beautifully done hmm. and um in the music for it's fantastic the music is actually by um uh nicholas godin who was in the band air and they the band band air is fantastic if you haven't heard them and um i highly recommend it this is definitely would be on my list of movies okay. for the and year it's on hulu it's on hulu okay yeah yeah, it's it's definitely on my list to check out since you had mentioned watching it i just i need to get to it maybe um Maybe I'll get to it before our next episode. Uh, I realize with you talking about that and and your first entry that, wow, we have spent two weeks watching very different things. <laughs> I had another hankering for popcorn and returned to the theater. And this time I watched Creed 3. Oh, okay. Uh, have you I've, seen the first two Creed? I've never seen a Creed. I've okay. never seen any of those movies. Uh, of Any of the Rocky? No, You've never seen the original I've Rocky? I've never seen a Rocky movie. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> huh, that's, I, I feel that I failed you, not no, because I think you would particularly enjoy those movies, but just them. the the first Rocky is a lot like the first Rambo yeah. where it is not what you mm-hmm. think it is. It is not a, a sports story. It's yeah. about, you know, this, this just, uh, kind of 
down on his luck every man who just happens to mm-hmm. uh, work his way up through. Uh, one of the interesting things about the first Rocky film, spoiler, but my goodness, how old is this movie? <laughs> uh, he loses at the end. You know, uh-huh. it's this big buildup to, uh, you know, what you think is that kind of underdog story. But really, it's just about somebody getting a shot yeah. and being able to hold their own. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't win, but he's able to hold his own against, you know, kind of the the champ or whatever. Uh, the Creed movies... Uh, in in a lot of good ways, kind of uh, harken back to that first Rocky, mm. where it's much more about the characters that you're dealing with rather than the inevitable rise montage to the to the final boxing match. That stuff's still there, um, but it's it's not as uh, it, it's not as on the nose. Mm-hmm. Creed three was a little more on the nose. It was a little more formulaic. This one is directed by Michael B. Jordan, mm-hmm. uh, who stars. And uh, it continues the story. It had some really good stuff in it. And I actually really liked it. But I'm also a sucker for boxing and boxing movies. Okay. Um, I don't know what it is about boxing. Maybe I watched it with my dad when I was a kid. Or there's something there. But I I enjoy the the strategic nature of of a fight. Um, And this does a really good job with it. Uh, Michael B. Jordan does a lot of things visually that I was not expecting. Hmm. There are moments of real. I don't. I don't know if they're entirely successful, mm-hmm. but there are moments where instead of just showing a boxing match and filming it well, uh, all of a sudden the crowd will fade away into black and white, and it's just the fighters. And it almost feels like Hero or some mm. of those Japanese films uh, that came out, you know, the late '90s, yeah. early 2000s that really tried to instead of visualizing the fight visualizing the the art or the emotions of a fight mm-hmm. uh and this does that i wish it did it more i think it would have been a lot more successful if it did it more often mm-hmm. uh but it was it was it was interesting and and i was entertained and i cried and i'm a sap and all those kind of things and so if you like the first two creed movies man three yeah. three go to town i did uh you clint um I'm not a sports you know, movie person, really. It's, sports movies have a very specific kind of formula yeah, to them. Yeah, yeah. Because I'll, I, I, I have watched numerous of them, mm-hmm. and I can always feel that artificial pull yeah. towards, like, the emotional climax of the yeah. thing, and I can feel the manipulation of that, yeah. and then I kind of resent the thing for it. This definitely has a lot of that, yeah. and more of it than the first two creeds. But it's interesting because they... They really go out of their way to add character beats. Yeah. Uh, you know, his wife is, uh, over the course of the three movies, she's been losing her hearing. They have a daughter who's deaf. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he has a mother who has some issues. Uh, he's got this friend that's coming out of prison after so long uh, and really feels left behind. And, and like, his friend got the life he didn't get to have. But even then, it it goes to what you expect, this clash of these two people uh-huh. in every way. But then the movie keeps going. And the the last five minutes of this movie is really what brought me around. Mm. Because before that, it was just a good formulaic sports movie uh-huh. with some interesting character beats. But the last five minutes puts kind of a, a punctuation at the end of the sentence that's really kind of poignant and real. Yeah. And I, I really appreciated that. It didn't end with like a free shot of, you know, the win from the boxing match. Mm-hmm. It it really kind of made the point that there's there's more here the movie's saying than uh, you know, guy wins another fight. Uh-huh. 
Uh, and I, I appreciated that. So I, I felt like there was more to this one, uh, which was cool. And um, I don't know. I just enjoyed it. But again, sucker for boxing movies. So what are you going to do? Yeah. yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it, Ken. I did. I did. I can tell you're so sincere. <laughs> what else What else are you watching? I am sincere. I'm really happy that you are happy. I'm so happy to hear that you're happy I'm that happy. I'm happy, Clint. This That's is, good. We're round-robining happy, happy, happy. We're just it's passing just, happiness all around, back and forth. What other weird artsy things you got for me, Clint? <laughs> <laughs> so I watched one more thing, okay. and that was I watched this um, little found footage movie that came out recently, and uh, it's called The Outwaters, mm. and this is directed by uh, Robbie Banfitch. I've seen this on Amazon. Yeah. I, I haven't watched it, but I mean, I've I've seen it there and I've watched the trailer. Yeah, and it has a pretty good, like, you know, like Rotten Tomatoes score and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I didn't, I, I, I'm going to tell you how I felt about this, honestly, but this kind of um, makes me feel a little differently about it. But I recently read that this was made for $15,000, mm-hmm. which it doesn't really, as far as cinematography wise and and. I don't know, because it is a found footage because you can hide a lot of seams as far as acting and things. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it doesn't feel like it was made for that budget, I'll say. Okay. But I would say I didn't like this movie. Um, I I think also I've realized I'm not much of a found footage person. Mm-hmm. Like didn't like it. It just wasn't your thing or didn't like you just felt like it wasn't getting to where it was trying to get. Um. Well, I think it was it got to where it wanted to go. And this is coming, okay, we recently had talked about uh, Skinamarink yes. and the um, the pacing of that movie and how it it's so minimal. In this, I feel like they were kind of trying to go for that. And I feel like it's almost on that verge of something that I should really like. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say to me, the characters just come off is so boring mm. and like, vapid like it almost like feels like um, are they being too ordinary trying to make them too real or are they just i think so i think they they are trying to really push it towards like these are real people but like they also like are just so like ordinary people are much more interesting than these ordinary people they're like there's no sense of humor to them at all they're just kind of really flat um and I, it was like, especially since it takes 40, like so minutes mm-hmm. to get to the point where it gets into the horror aspect of it. Right. So you're just stuck with these characters going out into the world, into the desert to make a music video. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of feels like Instagrammers, like frolicking in the desert mm-hmm. and they're not very inter- interesting. It's hard. That's, that's almost become a horror movie trope. And, and it's, it's this weird point where these movies... They have to introduce you to a group of characters yeah. that are inevitably going to experience the slasher, the killer, the right. horror, whatever it is. But there's this weird balance of spending too much time versus not enough time, getting to the horror too fast, not getting to it fast enough. And and if if somebody is completely consumed with just those characters, it can really drag if those characters aren't something that you're connecting with. Yeah, like I think if the characters were a little more interesting and their dynamics were more interesting, that amount of time would have been perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Um but then once it gets into the horror aspect of it, it just feels a lot of the same, mm-hmm. like a lot of just wandering around covered in blood. But I did admire that they are kind of for the found footage aspect 
did something different as far as what the horror was. Mm -hmm. Like it, it gets very Lovecraftian, mm. and I admired that. And there's some good visuals that they they pulled off, but it gets very samey, and it gets the that that trope of found footage where it gets very unbelievable why they're still f filming. Yeah. Especially when it gets to like very surreal, um, like otherworldly things. Like if they had just done like something where like a simple thing, uh, like this guy has, is in the desert in this whole time he's had like a GoPro strapped to his head mm -hmm. and then it's just stuck there. Gotcha. In one angle. It was stuck in one angle and it's from his perspective. And you you have that little go-to that you look okay, oh, I believe this. So he's not aware of the camera anymore. Yeah. But he's going through such surreal moments that it, it gets really hard to believe like why why is he still filming? Gotcha. And um I know that's something like you like you just kind of have to put out of your mind with this kind of thing, but like it made it really, really hard. Gotcha. Um so I don't know, like so, like I don't say that anybody who really is enjoying this movie is wrong. It just did not get me. Um, okay. So you might really like it. I, I'm not um, because I know you're a little more in tune with like the horror that's happening recently. Hmm. So you might find something in that I, especially okay. with the Lovecrafting angle, that might yeah. really get you. Well, and now that you mentioned Lovecraft, I haven't gotten to as many movies this week as I was anticipating because uh, somebody had written into us after our feedback episode last week and suggested a book to me. And it's actually a collection of short stories. And it was, I don't know why no one has ever done this before. Obviously, there's short stories by different authors where they've tackled this. Mm -hmm. But the whole premise of the book, it's called Cthulhu's Reign. And uh, you can find it on Amazon or, or wherever else. It's a collection of short stories that happen after the rise of the cosmic whatever. Mm. And so it's a lot of people trying to survive or society trying to figure out the the new reality as things cave in. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a very interesting angle because everything in Lovecraftian horror is always building up to that moment of yeah, yeah. this big thing happening. And it's not that these aren't horror stories. There's plenty of horror to then spill out of the, the void. Mm -hmm. But it's something where uh, it just – it you know, I download it just to see – and it's it's short stories from different authors, so it's you know it's hit or miss at times for you. But um, I w I was really taken by it and mm. found myself just going back to it night after night after night, which is usually when I you know turn on Amazon and and fire up a movie until I get tired. Um, this isn't a reading podcast, so you're kind it's of not. I know I'm breaking the format, yeah. Clint. I really am. It's because you you disrupted my flow. I wasn't even <laughs> going to talk about this. I just didn't have another movie to mention. But then as soon as you started talking about cosmic horror, I'm just like, well, this is interesting. Well, don't because, do it again. We don't well, read here. I'm sorry. But <laughs> we don't read here. Uh, but it also, it really, you know, we were asked a question last time about what kind of anthology series would we like to see? And we had talked about a Lovecraftian series. This is the idea I would like to see mm more from movies or an anthology series or something like that. I would love to see visualized, like just skip the part where we have to meet people and skip the part where we have to spend an hour and a half building up. Those things are great, but give me something where the apocalypse is at the very beginning mm -hmm. and chaos has descended from, you know, realms unknown. And now it's just about people coming to terms with uh, the fact that there's a weird black oily mass in the sky that's devouring mm -hmm. people and we're on the run. And then there's also these weird fish people 
coming out of the water and attacking us. I, <laughs> yes. Yes, please. Give me more of that. Yeah. Well, that like actually just just gave me an idea for an anthology series I would like to um, actually see. And that would I would love to see somebody actually do a good job and adapt um, World War Z mm, into an anthology yes. series. Because, that would be amazing. Because, the book. Yes, the book. Yeah, because be you could have a different director do each section and yep. each uh, character's story yep. from a different perspective. Um, and that would be a really in- good anthology yeah. series. And if you haven't read the novelization oh, or, or the original book, rather, yeah, yeah. of World War Z, it's a whole different animal it's than so the movie. Good. It's so good. It's it's a series of almost – they're connected around one event, but it's essentially these short stories that hop from country to country to yeah, country, it's, it's, character to character. It's Just, a reporter going around and interviewing yes. people from and, and what And how these happen- different places yeah. are handling the same crisis. Mm-hmm. And the reporter is not – he's not a, a character character. He is the thing that connects everything. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not like you need to know a lot about him. It's much more about the story that you're right, right. that you're hearing. And that's that would be such a perfect that anthology really series, like center point, like yeah. you know, like a tying it all together. Man, yeah. that would be good. That would. Well, uh, we have some movies to talk about today. But speaking of feedback, which I have mentioned, I don't know how many times now. It's almost feeling self-serving. But people really enjoyed the feedback episode last week, mm-hmm. and uh, I. But you and I both had a really good time answering questions. We still had extra questions left over. And so Clint and I talked about just, uh, you know, once in a while, tossing two or three questions into the wind and answering them as a regular part of the podcast. So keep those questions coming. You can send them to contact at cinebabblecast.com, or you can uh, send me a message on our Instagram page at Cinebabble. Uh, but it was a lot of fun, and it was it was kind of cool because even some of the things – that I I wouldn't necessarily find a way to address on here and ask as a question for us to discuss. They've informed different things that I then went on to watch or went on to read or mm. uh, you know it was it was, it was kind of nice. I feel like we're we're starting to build up this um, little bit of a, a community angle where uh, there's there's a little more. It's not just you and I trying to figure out what to do with our time. Uh, we've got little mini Sinatrons out there. Uh, you know, spinning up their own wheels and telling us what to watch. It's kind of I fun. just noticed that Jack Torrance is staring me down from the, your shirt. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so I have this Stephen King shirt with it's it's kind of um this this uh, grouping of all these different Stephen King villains on one shirt that an artist did. And uh, down in the corner, like Jack Torrance is at the top and then down at the corner is Red Rum. Well, mm. when I put this shirt on this morning and I glanced over in the mirror it said murder because that's the whole point yeah. of Red Rum. Yeah, yeah. And I literally, I mean, for a solid 10 seconds, stared at the shirt. And I'm like, well, that was a really missed opportunity. They should have done Red Rum. <laughs> <laughs> no lie. No exaggeration. Oh and then after about 10 seconds of staring at it as what a missed opportunity. Oh, I'm an absolute <laughs> idiot. I'm looking in a mirror. Of course it says Red Rum. Mm-hmm. That's the whole, I just. That's how mirrors work. It's how mirrors work. Yeah. And it's literally a plot point in the movie yeah. Yeah. that's on my shirt, yeah. a movie that I love. Yeah. And still, I, uh, yeah, I'm glad you pointed <laughs> that out so that I could share that embarrassing moment. It just, oh, I felt like an idiot. Anyway, uh, let's answer a few questions. Mailbag, mailbag. We're not talking test. 
one comes from Pesky Pescatarian 127. I love that he's not just a pescatarian, but he's a pesky, pesky. pescatarian from Connecticut. Uh, he says, or she says, spoiler territory. You talked at length about some great films recently, but I want to know, spoilers out in the open, how you interpreted some endings, specifically for Triangle Sadness, Possum, and Possession. Let me stop there, then I'll ask the, the next question here in a minute, but... Uh, let's let's kind of quick fire through those. Uh, Possum, I think, is probably the one that that you are the most uh, versed in and that you have thought about the most. Um, so just spoiler free. Uh, everybody be warned for this question. We're talking about spoilers. Clint, like what is Possum about? What not necessarily just what happens, but what's it actually trying to say? I think it's a man addressing his trauma from his youth and him like coming to terms with it. And that's what, how I read it. I didn't, I, I, the whole time was rooting for this guy. So mm -hmm. I never went down the path. Like, well, there's moments I did, but at the end I was never left with like, this guy was the bad guy. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could probably read it that way, but I just saw it as this man, like, trying to come overcome something that horrible that he went through as a, in his youth. Yeah. Um, actually I just, uh, our local record store, I found the vinyl of the soundtrack for that movie. Nope. Nope. And, uh, nope. I'm so excited. <laughs> nope. <laughs> uh, things I will not be listening to on my way to sleep tonight. Uh, for me, it was, I, I think I, it's very probable that I overthought it. Yeah. But, to me, it was it, – it's not a nonlinear time loop kind of thing. It's just I agree with you, but in the course of him uh, working out these traumas, I don't know that that boy was actually real. I feel like that was a mix of him remembering uh -huh. what happened to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's also the adult that's that's remembering uh -huh. it. And so it was much more of a – not just from the the puppet angle, but, but much more of a – uh, kind of metaphysical, uh, almost fever dream kind of hallucination mm -hmm. where he's, yes, he's working out those things, but the movie is much more about how you're watching, sort of like with Possession, which we'll talk about here in a second, uh, sort of like with Possession, where it's much more taking uh, an abstract concept and trying to realize it visually yeah. and, and narratively. I, I mean, I did walk away... I think this is one where I need to rewatch this movie, like to really, because I it was my initial reaction from seeing it one mm -hmm. time. I do think there was something up with the uncle that maybe he was involved with the disappearance of mm -hmm. of people uh, of kids. Um, so that aspect of it, maybe the boy was real. Um, yeah. I don't doubt. I part of me doesn't doubt that maybe that was possible and. And he was putting this right time, right place thing yeah. to free, like, and it helped. It was a moment of overcoming this thing from his past, and also yeah. it could be reality. Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of I don't know. That's the cool thing about that movie. Well, and that's what I love about movies. I know it frustrates some people when a director leaves a movie where you don't understand the ending or there's multiple interpretations. But I really enjoy that because those are the things that then stick with me. I feel like a movie can be amazing, but if it wraps everything up in a neat bow, yeah, I have less reason to 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 continue considering it and thinking about it and living in that world. And and those kind of movies really haunt my brain. And I find myself, you know, just driving or working or something, and and they just 
come back into my mind. And it's like I'm still watching them, and I, I enjoy that experience. Well, that's why, like, I when uh, Donnie Darko came out, mm-hmm. I was obsessed with that movie because yep. that movie did that really well. But then they did the director's cut that yep. really flushed out a lot of the mystery. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm done with that movie then. Yeah. That director's cut is really disappointing. It's to really me. disappointing. It it takes all of the, mm-hmm. uh, the 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 nebulous mystery out of everything. And yep. that was the whole th- the lore of the movie in the first place. Yep. Is piecing it together like a puzzle. And yeah, some of those yeah. pieces weren't clear. What, what about uh possession? Um what's the question like as far so as that? The, the the, our interpretation of the ending of possession. It's another one where I've only seen it once. So it's like, have you watched that one multiple times? I've watched it twice now. And for me, it was one, like the thing that kept nagging at me after the first time was this is set against a very specific period in history. Mm -hmm. This is set against a very specific time of political and cultural upheaval. Yeah. And so, you know, my mind kept coming back to, okay, well, it's so prominent and it and it returns to that so much that, you know, my brain was really focused on this being about relationships and about being about, um, you know, a, a couple in crisis mm-hmm. and trying to figure out who they are. But my second time through, it started to feel much more like the couple is really uh, this this metaphor for a a country divided against itself mm. in a country that's or or a nation or whatever that's trying to figure out how to move into the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you could take that anywhere, conservative versus progressive or or whatever else. But it's just it it started to feel like the child then was the next generation who's watching these parents struggle between who they were which does not work together and who they're trying to create themselves to be so that they can work together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so that's where my head was, but even then possession is such an incredible movie. It's so bizarre and it leaves so much that I just, every time I, I feel like I came up with an interpretation of it, yeah, something in the movie, then I couldn't figure out how that fit in that interpretation. Yeah. And I, with that one, I was, that aspect of it wasn't as interesting to me mm-hmm. that because I was so wrapped up in the performances mm-hmm. and the aspect of like, is there, tr- there the emotional turmoil they're going through? Like, I just wanted to read it as they're both going through this emotional turmoil that is so strong that it is producing this kind of... Uh, like birth of this otherworldly thing yeah. that emotional like trauma and like that that kind of thing can be so strong that it can break through into some kind of like other dimensional form you yeah know, you know what where i mean it, where it breaks through what we know of as real. right right and 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 all of the, the things you said like totally work and like the metaphors top on top of each other like is very interesting too but like that movie just um in performance alone is so staggering to yeah. me that like I have a hard time digging deeper into it. Yeah. Like you know what I mean? I do. I definitely yeah, do. Like, I it's one I need to rewatch and try to like I have that 
that set aside yeah. and I can just dive into the other layers of it. Yeah. Um, because I think there's so many and it's saying a lot, but yeah. I, I just haven't, I was just awestruck by the, um, what was given to me yeah. visually. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, and, and the uh, pesky pescatarian continues on. Do you enjoy director interviews where a director explains their interpretation, or do you like when they leave it to the viewer? Personally, I like when they leave it to the viewer. Yeah. For the same reason you were talking about with Donnie Darko and, and Richard Kelly. Mm -hmm. It's not that I don't – I don't mind finding out, but I want to have finished my – plumbing the depths. Yeah, yeah. And even then, if a director is speaking to an interpretation, I like when they're saying, for me, it was this, yeah. but I made it specifically so you could own it uh -huh. and have, it's like, your interpretation is just as valid as my interpretation, even though I'm the storyteller. I know what I put on the screen. Right. It, it bothers me. Uh, Ridley Scott does this a lot. Uh, some of the HBO shows, if you watch through mm -hmm. on HBO Max to the end, uh, you know, and you're watching the the showmakers mm -hmm. talk about it, they're really quick to kind of say what a character is thinking or feeling. Right. And I've stopped watching those. Yeah, yeah. Because I I really started to find either the next episode or my interpretation was being colored by what they said mm -hmm. and what they intended and said what's on the screen, or I would already think I had something figured out and then all of a sudden they're saying it's something completely different. Right. And that was a frustrating process for me. So overall, I, I think I would rather avoid those kind of interviews unless I'm completely confounded by a movie. Then it's nice to go out and maybe get some some direction or context. I'm okay being completely confounded by a no. movie though. Like I I don't need I, I if I'm going into those kind of interviews or something I'm mm -hmm. more wanting technical information and yeah. what they went into just like filming it and um like aspects of technology that are used to make the thing and yeah. visual effects and all that that's that aspect of it really interests me yeah. there's very rare like I mean sometimes like if I have my own opinion of it already um. I'll be curious sometimes about what they're like the inner, I read some interviews with, Oh, um, Oh, what's his name? Who did men and, uh, 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 uh annihilation and everything. Yeah. And he was talking about men and I loved his attitude towards it where he was like, you kind of like what you're saying where he's like, I have my ideas, but I also like, um, all your ideas are valid too. Yeah. And I'm not going, he doesn't, he does no, um, uh, service to anybody who wants an explanation of what he was going for. Um, so I, I enjoyed his method of going about that. I feel like a good filmmaker understands that. Alex Garland. Uh, yes, but but Sorry. art doesn't, art isn't meant for you to answer. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, a real artist does not put artwork out there hoping that the audience gets exactly what they were thinking or feeling or whatever else. Yes, they had to think or feel something when they made it, mm -hmm. but then they understand that if they're not putting those answers directly on the screen, they're either a bad filmmaker or artist, or they know exactly what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And they had a, a headcanon as to what they thought, and then actors do that with motivation for their character all the time. They do that when a story doesn't give them enough details about their character to make certain decisions. You know, you'll hear interviews all the time where an actor will be saying, oh, I... Here's the backstory I came up with that informed my performance. They're not saying this is what you should take from this movie. It was just me, the working actor, 
who had to decide if I'm sad, stone-faced, or laughing like a, a maniac. I had to know who this person is, and there wasn't enough answers in the script. I had to go and make that up. Yeah, that's like when you hear, um, oh, I'm probably butcher's name, uh, uh, Ki Kwan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Him talking about doing these exercises to be a squirrel. Yeah. Behind to get the the, the energy that yeah. this character needs and how he moves, but you don't need to watch it in like. And he's not telling you that so that you think he's a see squirrel. him channeling squirrel. Yeah, energy. yeah. It was what he had to do yeah. to get into that headspace and to break his that particular portion of his um, performance away from like when he's another character in yeah. that movie. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like you don't always need that that information or for that to the art to land correctly. Yeah. It's just usually a process thing yeah. um, that gets a certain thing over the finish line. Yeah. Uh, our next question comes from, uh, and I absolutely love this name. He's been listening to our podcast for for quite a while. He's written in several times, Justin Workmeister, uh, which I, I'm pretty sure is his, his last name. name. It's a great name. It's awesome. Uh, and and he, he tries to make me feel a little better, I'll tell you. Uh, I won't go into where he reveals that he's just trying to make me feel better. <laughs> but he says, uh, feel free to add. Dear Ken, in your brilliance, how do you see the future? And and I'm like, thank you, Justin. I appreciate that. Uh, I It's okay, though. I, I'm, I'm good with Clint being the one that gets all the pod crushes and the compliments. You're the smarter and, uh, one, though. But I I'm think, not. I think you and are. I think people see that. I think I people know. think that I... You had a much better answer for possession than I did, so... But I also have seen these questions for, like, a, that That's one true. I've You're seen cheating. for three weeks. You're yeah, it's, it's not fair. I'm popping no. these things on you in the moment. Uh, anyway, dear Ken, in your brilliance, how do you see the future of movie theaters and streaming services? Uh, you have my permission to use your creativity. Uh, got to get, got to keep Clint from getting a big head. Uh, <laughs> but I think he still wants to know. He's just being nice to me. Uh, but where do you see the future of movie theaters and streaming services? Here's what I think. Mm -hmm. uh, I am around a lot of teenagers because of my son. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're, they're teenagers that I have to interact with at my workplace and things like that. And there is this kind of profound change in entertainment happening right now because of TikTok and other things like that, where there's an entire generation of kids that are growing up that do not like long form movies because their their brains are being conditioned to enjoy 30 seconds, one minute, two minute rapid fire clips, and they can move on to something completely different. And I was reading articles about how much uh, that's affecting uh, the entertainment that mm -hmm. an entire worldwide generation of people is demanding. I don't know if 50 or 100 years from now, what that does. Mm -hmm. Is that just a fad? Or is that something where long form film, I don't think it's ever going to die. I think there's always going to be people that want long form stories. There's always going to be people that pick up a book and want a book. But I don't know if 50 years from now, we're going to be in a position to have Avatar 6 make billions at the box office. Mm -hmm. um, because people your age and my age and older uh, really flock to this kind of storytelling, but the younger you get, the less you get. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's going to be a lot more streaming content over theatrical content. And I think there's going to be a lot more short form content uh, kind of come up in, in new and different ways and old, even if it's anthology style. Mm -hmm. um, 
I, I just I feel like things are shifting more towards that uh, quick hit thing. You can even feel it in comedies, mm-hmm. how comedies have really shifted away from story and into like these bite worthy, mm-hmm. you know, segments that a clip can just go up on on Instagram or TikTok and, and rack up millions of views for you don't even know who these characters are. Uh, you don't know what the situation is. It's just well-written. It's a funny little interaction between husband, wife, daughter, and... I can't stand that stuff. It's just a walking meme. I I know, but I I really think that's where a a large portion of entertainment, at least for a time period, is is going to really shift to. And I think you and I are going to be two very grumpy old men who are more (laughs) than ready to walk into the ether because... Uh, you know, we just, we're not getting three hour movies anymore. What do you Mm. think? I'm totally with you. Like what I had thought about, um, was that, yeah, it's definitely going to go just more streaming. I think there'll be fewer and fewer theaters. I think it'll be like, it'll be a very niche thing if a movie is, um, in the theaters. Yeah. It it might be where it's streaming in the, like, it's like, like a limited theatrical Right, run. like like uh, Knives Out did, yeah. and then it's just streaming. I think yeah. everything just going to go that way. I, unless something dramatic happens, where in 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 the art form, um, you for a second you thought it was going to be three D. I mean, that was kind of just a fad. Like it wasn't something that was going to save it. Yeah. Um, unless I don't know, <laughs> directors really stand up and they're like, oh, like. I'm going to see this movie next week called Memoria that mm-hmm. is um, solely in theaters. They're never planning to put it on Blu-ray. They're never going to do streaming. And they do it one theater at a time. One They've theater, been touring with it. They're, they're touring it around, and that's the life of this movie. Yeah. And I and I think if maybe somehow be, that kind of kicks off yeah. and it's something that people are into and they want that kind of experience, maybe that's somewhere to go. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I... I, I do think there's the possibility of bridge movies. I think every everything everywhere uh, is is a perfect example of that because I sat and loved that movie. My son sat and loved that movie, but my son was being engaged not just by the the what was happening on the screen, but the way it was being presented. That movie shifts very rapidly, and it's never in one place or one thing or even one universe for very long. And so I could see how it that took away the obstacles that he has when we try to go see a longer form movie now cuz mm-hmm. I can watch him get fidgety and bored. And he could have watched he he watched Tree of Life at 6 years old mm-hmm. and was fascinated. Like eyes would not come off the screen. And that is something like even a seasoned moviegoer could have a hard time with something as as slow and methodical as Tree of Life. But at six, he just, he ate it up. Now, oh my goodness, uh, his his brain is not what it was then. It's very different. I'm wondering though too that this is, maybe there's a point where this is not something where we recognize we're just going to have to live with it and we just see it as this disease that needs cured. Like within the generation, that's something where, like, <laughs> like fluoride, they just start putting Ritalin and <laughs> ADHD, in what, ADHD medicine in the water in the, in the yeah. water, and yeah. or I don't know, or like 
maybe at there's... some point it's going to have profound cultural impact. It's not just entertainment. No, it's going to be something that's going to affect jobs and everything yeah. because yeah. people aren't going to be able to sit down and do a task for a long yeah. amount of time. Yeah. Um, so maybe there there's something that breaks within. Um, the technology as far as like, you know, we're always on our phones where mm. like there's some governmental intervention where like you, yeah, th this is not healthy for the world. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I think we could talk about this at length. I really think people, uh, though, uh, the best place for this is to be redirected to our new podcast that we're launching, <laughs> which is Clinton can discuss unexpected but nightmarishly realistic uh, apocalypse scenarios. Mm. Uh, that's that's the full title of the podcast, and it's where we just discuss actual apocalypses and how mundane yet terrifying they really will be. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's that. Our first episode is that's what it's about. It's all about uh, TikTok, the TikTok apocalypse. <laughs> Tikpocalypse. Tikpocalypse. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, I, just like that, uh, we're out of time on questions, and I still have a bunch. Uh, Justin even has another question. So maybe next time we'll start with Justin's next what, question. What was the other question? Because is it the other one you gave me? Yeah. The, okay, let's do that one because I could do it really fast. Okay. It, uh, yeah. He goes on to say, you've talked about your love for A24, the studio, uh, or the distributor. Uh, do you have any other studios, actors, or directors that are must-watch? So you gave me this one before, so I did make a list. So I'll just read some of this really quick. Clint and prep work. <laughs> um, so every time I see, like, uh, the, the studio Neon, they mm -hmm. do really cool stuff. Magnet does really cool stuff. How have we not talked about uh, what was just on Netflix by uh, uh, Nicholas? Uh, the did you reference Yeah, thing? did you watch that thing? I started it. You didn't, you didn't go much further? I, I've kind of fallen off with him. Okay. All right. Yeah. We'll we'll come back to that another time. Keep going. Sorry. Um, uh, Janice Films the, on uh, mm. Criterion, they, they, they've been doing more. Yeah. And I used to be really into the focus features, mm -hmm. and then at some point they kind of disappeared. Maybe they got like eight up. I, they it's, kind of still do some stuff. It's it's sort of like I remember the, the indie rock scene started out really yeah. indie, mm -hmm. and then it still wanted to be indie and felt indie, but it didn't actually feel indie. It started to feel very produced, yeah. and you could feel the money going into mm -hmm. it. And focus used to be one that, that would really, man, when that logo popped up, I was like, oh, I'm in for something different. Yeah. And now, now I'm in for something that looks like a Focus Features film, but really is just not that they're bad. It just you you can feel that yeah. shift. Yeah. Any other ones there on your mind? Uh, not as far as um, the of uh, studios. Those were the ones that came to mind first. Okay. Um, I, you know, and, and the only thing I have to say to that because man, I'm just terrible at following studios. Mm -hmm. If it's a big studio, I know that it irritates me. Like Warner puts out a very specific yeah, block. Yeah. Of, of movies. Disney right now is franchising and universe building, and that's that's their shtick. Um, and I, mi I miss the days of Buena Vista, Miramax, and Disney, where you could sort of get different things from a studio. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's I, I don't think it's as detrimental anymore because there's so many smaller studios out there doing good work. Yeah. Um, but there's there's this studio of late, and, and I just watched the movie, so I wish I had thought to look at who the actual producers were. Um, but it's this little indie flick called Cocaine Bear. <laughs> and I'm really impressed with, one, their dedication to realism and dedication to, like, true crime or, mm -hmm. or true events. Uh, but but in reality, I'm, I'm just impressed that they're doing such, like, challenging work uh -huh. that they can even divide friends. <laughs> 
who who haven't both seen a film. Yeah, but yeah. it allows one. That's that's incredible, and I really think they're they're hitting on a, a cultural touchstone there. That splitting two people, one of whom is judging a film without having seen it. I think that's it's a fascinating analysis of of what's wrong with our culture. I don't know if it was the the studio so much don't as don't defend yourself. <laughs> <laughs> the trailer didn't do much of a service for that yeah, one for no, me. Yeah, I, I totally get it. Uh, no, I, for me, this this is a very difficult one because I just, my brain doesn't think in terms of of studios. I can tell you filmmakers, if it's a Fincher film, an Aronofsky film, uh, a Jordan Peele film, um, you know, all uh, these, these filmmakers who, yes, they have a style, Wes Anderson, mm-hmm. but they're always trying to do something different and they're not... You go and you see Fast and Furious or a Marvel movie or an Avatar movie or whatever else. You can feel that the director and the filmmakers are playing in a very specific sandbox. Yeah. And they have very specific tools. And if you don't give the people watching those tools from that sandbox and the elements they're expecting, it's sort of like a band can be around for 20 years and still the fans – Tens of thousands will scream for a 20-year-old song. Mm -hmm. And you'll hear, you know, musicians talking about how frustrating that is because they're doing all this new work and putting out all this new stuff. And, you know, their fans, like, we paid good money. We want to hear, like, come on, pour yourself out. You're here (laughs) for us. And, And that's... You know, a lot of times I feel like there's an entire group of movies that get made that way. And so I really appreciate when there's a filmmaker that just, I know what you want, but I know what you actually want. You just don't know it yet. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do something different or experiment or try some things. And yeah, it might not work, but I'm going to try some things and really get in there and and surprise you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ari Oster Mm -hmm. is 100% that guy. Um you know, he really could have gotten stuck in a rut with, um, you know, doing kind of very similar things to Midsummer and um, Hereditary. Hereditary, but his next movie uh, is completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the same thing with um, Robert Eggers, mm-hmm. uh, who really you can you can see his style, and I'm fine with that, uh, but really tackles some different things and and. I just that makes me excited to go see a movie because I know I'm not going to get uh, David Lowry mm-hmm. is another one. Yeah. I know I'm not going to get what I was expecting even from a trailer. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, so yeah. Out of time, especially now that Clint drug us through more. Well, That's I did okay. have <laughs> it was a good question, and I get it. You I had a list of uh, what was the the other part of it was actors. That right, he... but see, I understand. <laughs> I know you were prepared, but I also Let me understand. just read my list. Right. But I know it was all in your brain, and it's not on a, a device or something that saves it for next time. It was in my brain. And so— And then I put it on, the, on you, my You didn't device. want to forget it. And, you know, because Clint has a cell phone that doesn't save Tilda things. Tilda Swinton, William Dafoe, Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix— uh, Andrea Reisenbaum from Possessor, like she's been doing some oh, fascinating yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah, uh, Benedict yeah. Cumberbatch, I think he's been doing cool nice. stuff. Uh, Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson, also on my list, big surprise always. Yeah. Because, man, he just – and I think people have moved away from it. But even I was I, I was just so the Twilight Kid, the Twilight Kid, the Twilight Kid. Uh, same with um, uh, I didn't, Kristen Stewart. Yeah. Same exact mm-hmm. thing. Oh, yeah, the she Twilight would be on there, Kids. Yeah. She's, she's incredible. Yeah. Um, 
Anything oh. else you want to interrupt me with? <laughs> I had a list of directors. Oh, fascinating. Jordan Peele, Robert Eggers, David Lowry, David Cronenberg. I have a bunch of Davids. I said all these things David except Lynch, Cronenberg. Uh, Denny uh, Veneu. Um, oh, yeah. Jane Campion yeah. after The Power of the Dog. Yes. Man, yes. even though she only does a movie every like 15 years. Yeah. And then like Paul Thomas Anderson. But you said like Wes Anderson. I totally skipped out on yeah, him. Yeah, Paul but... Thomas Anderson. I'd love to see more from The Daniels. Oh, um, yeah, The Daniels are definitely I on realize there. like as we're rattling this off, it's a lot of white male directors. I, I would not That's because why... I, I don't want to watch those things. It's just I would genuinely like to you know find more films and and more directors where I can kind of expand my my list there to uh you know somebody that's not uh, upper middle age white male <laughs> well I had uh, Jane Campion and Jordan Peele there it's because you're woke Clint and we don't <laughs> that's tolerate like the most minimal like we don't um, tolerate requirement woke on this podcast okay yeah. this podcast has a cue in the title for a reason and <laughs> Sequinababble. It's yeah, it's there. It, yeah, it's, it's silent, there. but we know yeah. why that cue is there. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I know the real truth. So today we are talking about uh, Megan, EO, and Breaking. Uh, let's start with Megan. Megan is a, a slick little horror movie. Um, uh, Megan is a marvel of artificial intelligence, a lifelike doll that's programmed to be a child's greatest companion and a parent's greatest ally. However, the new prototype model, when adopted by the creator, Gemma, 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 sorry, uh, discovers that programming is more than what is up inside of the doll. Clint, we watched the unrated version of Megan, mm-hmm. which is, as far as I understand it, not significantly different. Just a little bloodier, a little gorier. I was pleased with that. It would have, I think, felt a little too. Because mm-hmm. uh, it was like just PG-13, yeah, wasn't it? yeah. It was it was pretty bloodless. Uh, what you what you think of Megan? So this movie is like got quite a following. It really does. Like a lot of love behind. It really it. does. Um, so that like kind of gave me hope when mm-hmm. I it, it was um, to actually watch the thing. Like once it was streaming available. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was actually really curious going into it. Like, what are, what are people like mm-hmm. cl- clamoring for with this? Like, why are they so into this? Yeah, I don't know if you know, but Megan is considered a a, a, a gay icon now. Uh, yeah, I heard that Because of the too. dance. Yeah. And I don't understand it. Straight white male over here. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to try to understand it. But it's a thing. And I just want to say, I, I, don't, I don't get why. But go on, Clint. Will you try the dance? But the dance is not inherently... Uh, the dance is like two seconds. Yeah, and there's no – like there was nothing that challenged the notion of sexuality in that scene or any other scene. So I don't quite understand. Yeah. Except for, again, TikTok generation, that's a very convenient little clip. But, yeah, that's there. So, okay, I I just didn't get this movie. <laughs> like I, I did not connect to this movie at all. Like – and I was reading reviews of this and people saying how funny it is. I didn't think it was funny at all. <laughs> like I, I just could not get on board with it. Like I, I recognized, like I mean, it was well made, but just like the things that were landing for other people were not landing for yeah. me. Like as far like I was hoping to go in, and it was going to be really kind of over the top and cheesy, and like she's just dancing the whole time and stuff. <laughs> yep. Like because that's what I, the picture I was getting in my head, yeah. and it was like. 
one clip of her like doing the weird head thing. Yeah. And I'm like, that's all the dancing in this yeah. movie. <laughs> I I really thought from the trailers this was going to be a blend of malignant and ex machina. And I was in for yeah. that. I was ready for kind of zaniness mm-hmm. and, and over the top uh gore and whatnot of of malignant, but then kind of that uh, you know, yeah, AI is is scary of of ex machina and I I didn't get that it it really met either of those criteria. It felt very very ordinary. To it me. felt so ordinary. Yeah. Like even the kills by the end yep. of the day, like like I, I they weren't particularly that interesting. Yeah. Um, and then I I would get like it would be kind of schlocky at moments, especially like when they're at the um the company were like talking about the doll and working yeah. on it, and. But then, like, they would go back home and, and just the over-dramatic moments between um, Gemma and um, uh, Caddy, Caddy mm-hmm. um, after losing her whole her whole world, her whole family, it was just, like, so, like, melodramatic. Yeah. And I and the music was not helping no. that. And it was just – it felt very ordinary in those moments. There were some truly boneheaded character and plot developments, too. Yeah. Nothing about this woman uh, essentially getting custody, uh, legal custody of her niece rang true at all. No, no. This is not how social services works. This is not how ensuring that a child's environment works. This is not how anybody, even if they're bad with kids, you do not continue about your life when your sister dies and you suddenly have her child. I don't care how separated – or like cold hearted you are. There's something in there where you would be like, like I feel like you would like there would be some kind of switch in your brain yeah, where you're like, yeah. I need to give this little girl who's gone through a horrible trauma. Yeah. Like they just went back to their lives all, yeah. all of yeah. a sudden. Like she's yeah. just like a normal little girl, but like yeah. in this horrible like situation. And also like you're saying about like how it's like not how that would operate. Like yeah. she didn't want this girl. Her the uh the husband's family wanted yeah. her and like were willing to take her and wanted yeah. to take care of her and yeah. like but like they wouldn't let her and it's yeah. just like but both sides are not happy in this situation. No. Just let them take her. Yeah. My goodness. And she comes the aunt comes across, uh, and this is played by um oh I lost Allison Williams. Yeah, Allison Williams, who's great. Uh, you would not know it from this movie, mm-hmm. uh, and and she just comes across as a sociopath. And I, I liked what they were going for. I liked little touches where she doesn't know how to interact with this kid until the kid takes an interest in her world. And uh-huh. then it, it's not that she's selfish; it's that oh, here's how I can communicate and get through to this kid. Um, but then what all she does with that was basically give her Megan to, for Megan to yeah. take care of her. Like yeah. she just pawns yeah. it off, her off on Megan. And and I don't buy for a second that anybody that's actually on the cutting edge of developing AI like this, one, in a toy company where... The toy company thing is weird. The, the toy company is more uh, obsessed with launching this product line than in the safety of the children that will be buying this uh, lawsuit-ready nightmare toy. Mm-hmm. Um but but she's also it just it did not I, add up. I was really hoping that they would get to the point where the thing is 
basically it's been manufactured and it's like in a couple of weeks it's going to be put out into stores. Yeah. And then this thing happens with it. Yeah. And then like it's all it's gone through all the testing. It's just never they've never tested it with a kid who has trauma like this. Or that like because clearly in the movie this doll is damaged at certain points yeah. and like has defects because of things it's gone through. Yeah. Um so they there's something they didn't see happening. So yeah. like it's they have this whole manufacturing facility filled with them. That would have been a great finale. Yeah. Like, especially with a movie, I, I maybe not the size of this movie, but like maybe they'll do that in the second yeah. one. Who knows? Or it's already been greenlit. I don't it would know. have been really cool too, ending that way where it's a race against time to the end to stop the product launching. Yeah. And then it ends badly. And then the end of the movie is just this thing showing up on doorsteps. Yeah. Or like they're just really the like, it's like zombie apocalypse, yep. but with these little girls yep. out in the streets. Oh, that would have been incredible. Um, I, I mean, even though I, the be- thing that I, kind of enjoyed was the end a little bit even yeah. though i saw yeah. it because i did like oh they're gonna bring back the her prototype yeah. robot from yeah. when she was in college that yeah, like I, I enjoyed that that was fun um i just couldn't i don't know i was grasping the whole time to see why everyone was clamoring for yeah. this and i the, maybe that was a, a detriment that i just wasn't enjoying it for what it was but i, I don't think it's a bad movie no it's fun yeah it just I, it's not my kind of fun, and and it didn't. The one thing I walked away was from like was that this dropped in January, mm-hmm. and so I was like, maybe that was part of it. Like if it had mm-hmm. dropped another time in the year where a bunch of cool stuff was out, it might have been overlooked. Yeah. But because really, was nothing was going on, yeah. people noticed this thing a little bit more. And it could just be PG thirteen. It could be what's really driving this is literally 12 to 20 year olds and we just don't get it Uh, or they're new to something like this where this felt very derivative of a whole bunch of things i've seen before yeah i actually i really because you did bring up that it's like she's a gay icon and stuff i wish this movie was gayer it would have been more fun it would have at least made it different it would have made it something weird and topical and you know there would have been some sort of hook it's just it's just another killer doll movie uh, or killer AI movie, or you know, it just I I agree with you. Okay, so our next movie uh, is called EO, and most of you will not have heard of this. You can actually find it on the uh, Criterion yeah. streaming service, mm-hmm. which I am finally a part of. Woohoo! Uh, but this is from director Jerzy Skolomowski, mm-hmm. which I totally love that name. Uh, it's a Polish film, and it's it's about EO, a gray donkey, and I love this description. Eo, a gray donkey with melancholy eyes, (laughs) encounters good and bad on his journey through life, experiences joy and pain, and endures the Wheel of Fortune. Clint, uh, you recommended Eo. I went and watched it. Tell me what you thought of Eo. Well, I recently just watched through the the whole collection of Jersey Skolomowski's mm-hmm. work that's on Criterion. And so then to find out that he had a new one coming out and it was this donkey movie, I was super um, <coughs> super fascinated to see what this thing was going to be. It is not a kid's movie, to no, be no, really no, no, clear. No. It's, no, it's no. not a... It's not like a talking no. kids, you know, this is it, not Shrek 5. No, it's not Babe in uh, Pig yeah, in the City yeah. with the donkey. Yeah. Um, but... Um, so I was really fascinated to see what he's going to do with a story like this, mm-hmm. um, because just because all his other work is so varied in like, mm-hmm. in, like, um, 
and he has a lot of different layers of subtlety going on in them. So um, I was, like I said, I was fascinated to see what this was. And I really like this movie. I think um, it's gorgeous. It's some of the most beautiful cinematography I've seen in different. Like, it's not like... Um, Oh, was it 1918? Mm -hmm. Like that level of just like super um, giant scope. Um, it's very intimate. It's very intimate. Yeah. It's very like it's a lot from his perspective and just very close to the donkey's face. And they capture such like varied performances. The, I was watching a um, uh, this was like kind of going back to what we were talking about as far as like conversations with directors and do we like them like shedding light onto things and they were talking about their process for this uh Jer jersey was and they did this thing where they were harkening back to um i can't remember who it was there was a director very early on in cinema in cinema who um did this piece where they had a still face of a of an actor mm -hmm. the same expression but the next frame would be like food or it would be somebody else like crying or something mm -hmm. so his per, his just you would put onto his face a different emotions based, based on, on the, the next yeah so they worked that into with the donkey where mm -hmm. they they would have because the donkey is such a like they said melancholy face it's it's yeah it's a blank slate a blank too. slate it's that there you for you could, to to project onto. So they would use that as a plus mm. because they would, the next scene, you, they would have whatever's going on in the scene or like him experiencing different things. And you would place that onto the emotion of the donkey. And That's it works. so fascinating. And it works so well because it wasn't even, I, I was, I was thinking, my goodness, how many times did they have to shoot this donkey to get certain head movements or certain things that evoke mm -hmm. the feeling that's needed in this moment because they don't have they're not CGing a mouth. They're not no, doing no, no. things to give you in any way, uh, you know, an, an anthropomorphication of right. this donkey. But yet I could feel very specific things right. from the donkey at different times. So that that's really interesting. Yeah, that makes yeah. total sense. Yeah, I thought that was so fascinating hmm. and such a really interesting tool to use to get so much out of this donkey's yeah. performance. And um, so just... Cinematography alone, this thing is gorgeous, and then the score is gorgeous along with it. Um, I I love the aspect of like it's basically a road trip movie mm -hmm. with this donkey, and it's just his journey, and it's kind of like this. Um, and they even described it this way, kind of as like this biblical parable of this donkey ex like going through life and as an animal and facing the cruelty and kindness of humans. And I loved how when you're kind of, um, you're focusing on this animal and this from their perspective and the journey of like just animal across the Poland and into Italy, um, it, it really like makes the human world and human experiences that he's coming across feel so alien. Mm -hmm. And I love when something can do that where like it really kind of separates you from the human experience and you're really um, like just feeling for this other creature. Everything feels very mysterious. Yeah. It, it comes through as being uh, – it feels very authentic to, you know – a creature trying to process yeah. something that we have full context and understanding of, mm -hmm. but this thing does not. Right. And because it's a road trip film, it's experiencing a variety of things 
that it would never in the normal course of a of an animal's life experience that much variety. Right, right. Because usually like the one like one scenario where it's just on this farm with other donkeys or it's stuck in the circus, yep. like that would be their whole life. Yeah. That's what they would experience. But like the circumstances of this one, he gets to experience a whole swath of different things. Um, and I really liked how it is kind of like not outside of the realm of the film, but has this almost like magical, realist, surrealist feel to it. Mm -hmm. Especially, man, there's this gorgeous sequence where the when the donkey escapes from this other donkey farm after kind of his love, this this girl that she he was uh, kind of his caretaker at the circus comes and visits and he escapes and he's left alone and lost in the wilderness. And the wilderness feels so surreal and kind of almost like picture book, like how they're filming the other animals and like, and how like kind of the technological world of these hunters creeps in, like the, the laser show of these hunters out there. It's like, it, they're never shown, but you just, you know exactly what's happening. And it's such a strong visual. I was just taken back by the, um, the visuals in this film. Um, and, and it hits a sweet spot for me, like, because of something that can really, without dialogue, tell a story. Yeah. And so I think- Which is, uh, a, is quite a skill on yeah. its own. And so for me, I, I it hit a sweet spot. Where were you with this? <laughs> Everything you just said is 100% dead on. Uh-huh. This is a beautiful movie. Um, my my experience with this movie is so subjective, it's going to make me sound stupid. <laughs> this movie made me too sad. It's so sad. It just but but in a in a very uncomfortable way that it was almost like my emotional state didn't have a way to de- I I I went to bed sad and laid awake sad. I woke up sad the next morning. And I I kind of low-key hated the movie for making me <laughs> that kind of sad. That's the sign of a great movie. Yeah, that, yeah. That is, it's, it's, it has won the awards. It's won for a reason. Mm-hmm. It's, it is an incredible film. Just personally, it did something to me that I wish I had never watched it. <laughs> and that's insane to you, I know, yeah. because it's such beautiful art. Doesn't matter how sad it makes you, you know. It's, but it, it, but in my world, it's like I did not need something to make me feel that emotion. But it's making you sad in a real way compared yes. to something like Creed where you're crying at yes. the end of it in a fake way. Yes. In, Over a fake story, this is a real yes. like a real way of being sad. In Creed a character dies that they've set up the plot line of a medical issue ahead of time and you're you're feeling the emotion of the performance, but if you move past the performance of a very good actor, you recognize very quickly this is so contrived. And it was so foreshadowed and it's so just it's it's here to emotionally manipulate you and to make the character feel more pronounced loss and 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 more a feeling of being out of control at just the moment he needs to then launch into what is the inevitable montage mm-hmm. that's going to get him ready to uh, win. Um, whereas this, it, it's much more. I, I think that's why it gave me such a depth of sadness because it just made me sad for this creature that has no way of understanding fully what's happening and how sad it is and how unfair the world is to this this animal. And it just it it really for the first time in my life I felt like a vegan. 
It was weird, Clint. I am not a vegan. I'm the opposite of a vegan. And this, I'm an aspiring vegan. This so. this this movie made me sad at, at the level of, you know, people who just swear off meat forever. <laughs> it's so yeah. stupid. I had such a childish for a movie that is about an animal and is 100% not a kids movie. I had more of a a child's heart and brain reaction to this thing than than I have most movies that have made me sad. Ever. I think it, then it's successful. A hundred percent. It's so I successful. And I think I that you. is the sign of a good piece of art. It's an incredible piece of art that I wish had never come into my life. <laughs> I just, it's, I know, I know it's, it's a paradox. It makes no sense. No, it doesn't it make just, any sense. I, I, everything in a film to me is what it makes me feel. And this movie made me feel something too real that I didn't enjoy feeling. And so <laughs> All the beauty and all of the the mastery of this film, and it's there. I just I I really resented it for for leaving me in that place. I I, I do not want a movie to to put me there. That's what I want. I, I, I want something that I, I want it to be real. The whole time I was watching it, I'm like, Clint is eating this up. Uh, the same thing you feel about movies that emotionally manipulate. I feel about movies that have no interest in emotional manipulation to the point that they're just like, sorry, kid, this is life. Yeah. That's the beauty of that. The ending of this you. movie. Oh, the there's ending. no, Don't even get there's me no manipulation in it. It's just pure it's, truth in that. I like, know. this is what happens. I know this, this is, is where this thing would, this would have happened. It was, it was inevitable. It yeah. was, there was nothing manipulative. It's exactly what you would expect to happen. And it made me hate it more. And I just, <laughs> I get it. This is this is. It, I'm it feeling is sad for you. Good. I'm feeling sad for you. Good. Then maybe after this, you will wish you hadn't done this podcast because of the deep sadness that you feel, and then we will understand each other. I again, no, but it's truth. It's it's it, it is truth. I. It's and a real a, feeling. I if you are a 100% truth in cinema, 100% truth in art, you will love this movie. I just I need a little more fiction. To to keep to keep me a little less fragile. I I just needed I needed something to pat me on the head somewhere, <laughs> a singing dog, a, a talking tomato. I don't know. I just I, I'm I'm kidding there, but it just the, it was such a profound sadness that this movie left me with. It was uh, it was just it was it was too pointed of a sadness in me, and I I didn't like feeling it. And um, so yeah, sort of like when. There's a human that just makes you feel that kind of sadness. You never want to talk to that human again because why would I want to spend my time with a person that just made me feel that way? I'm pretty sure this uh, whole this the, the, the conversations is like really shining a light on the difference between us. Yes. Where yes. you're very much a yeah. you are a cocaine bear, yeah, yeah, and I am an EO. Yes, it, yes. it's like Winnie yes. the Pooh. You are <laughs> you are Pooh, and I'm I've always Eeyore. like always. I've yep. always been an Eeyore. Yep. yep. Um, yeah. I think, I think you are a cocaine yeah. bear. I I suspect this will come back multiple times in future weeks. I I feel like we're going to be debating cocaine bear and EO. So at some point, uh, once everybody has had the chance to watch both of these, maybe we will have a civil war of Cinnababel, and we'll just we'll make people declare sides, and and they can declare for Team EO or Team Cocaine Bear. <laughs> I suspect I'll lose, but. Hey, you know, 
I, I, I don't know. But I, um, well, I mean, EO has already won because it was successful in making <laughs> you feel the sadness that it meant to feel you for you to yes, feel. But Cocaine Bear taught but cocaine me not to do drugs. I don't think Cocaine Bear would ever make me feel the joy that you felt. You've never seen a bear charge after an ambulance. I have to because it it's in the trailer. <laughs> no, you have not even begun to realize. I'm pretty sure cocaine doesn't make you be able to <laughs> chase down an ambulance and jump from 40 feet away and land on the inside of it. That scene actually stretches back 10 minutes before that moment yeah. and another five minutes after that moment and is the most delightfully hilarious 15 minutes of gore and and insanity. Uh, but we're not here to talk about Cocaine Bear. Not now. I mean, we were minutes ago, like for like but 30 I minutes wish straight. Immediately after watching EO, I had watched Cocaine Bear because it would have lifted my spirits. All right. <laughs> our third film uh, is our Cinetron pick, and it is Breaking. Uh, this is a 2022 movie that sort of flew under the radar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think a lot of people missed. It stars John Boyega and Michael Kenneth Williams in in if not the last one of his last performances. Um, and it's desperate for money and running out of options. Marine veteran Brian Brown Easley holds several people hostage inside a bank, setting the stage for a tense confrontation with police. One of the first things I noticed is this is almost to a T, the plot of Ambulance, which we hated. So I am curious, Clint, uh, minus the ambulance part. Yeah, uh, sorry. <laughs> the most important this part. This is the exact same setup. As ambulance, not the plot. Uh, Clint, what did you think of uh, Breaking and John Boyega's performance here? There are far fewer drone shots that were just like going down the side Tell of the building. Tell me about too. it. I didn't hold on to a bucket and throw <laughs> up three times while watching this Unnecessary one. drones. <sighs> um, yeah, like you said, like this is one that I wasn't super familiar with. Mm-hmm. Other than like seeing it just like, you know, advertised on streaming services or whatever. And like, I, oh, I, was like, I saw John a little Boyega? bit. It, it looked very generic to me. Yeah. When, when I was first kind of seeing that it existed. Um. But then I saw it was getting some kind mm-hmm. of praise and it's got some, you know, good Rotten Tomatoes score and everything. And I was curious to see John Boyega in another performance other yeah. than like Star Wars. And um, Attack the Block. And Attack yeah, the Block yeah. because really that's all I've seen him in. Yeah. I'm not saying that he hasn't done more. That's all I'm just familiar with. Um, and so I – in those two things, I can never gauge if he's a good actor mm-hmm. just because like those, those – um, I mean, Attack the Block is fun, and Star Wars, he, like, doesn't really leave room for, you know, an actual performance. You're just, you know, you know what I mean? He's such a a, bomb, a bumbling comic relief character, yeah. especially in Episode Seven, that you don't get a sense of, uh, you know, is the drama just working because he was bumbling before and funny, and now he's being serious, or is he actually, not that he's, you're questioning whether he's a good actor, it's just, is he a good dramatic actor? Right, like and, he can do and, action and, and Star Wars is just kind of like this machine moving yeah. forward, getting from one like one beat to the next. Yeah. Um, yeah. That you kind of get get lost, and his character in that kind of gets lost a little bit more so than you would think from the beginning of that yeah. whole trilogy. Um, so I was going in this kind of just curious to see him in a different, like kind of more human role. Um, and I actually, I thought this was good. I, mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. I, I thought he was fantastic and actually made me excited to see what he is coming up next. It, I, I was totally believable as this character. It, it was also thankfully more grounded 
oh, yeah. than I thought it was going to be. I really thought this was going, like I said, generic, like kind of a genre piece uh, that was just, uh, you know, over the top for action's sake. Oh, it wasn't that at all. It, no. No, no, no. It was it was much more. What was the movie? Was it Surge mm-hmm. that we watched? Yeah. Uh, it had not that. It's not that kind of character. No. But it had that same kind of realism baked into uh, the the tension of everything. Right. Um, or almost like a Dog Day Afternoon. I, yeah. I really feel like it has a lot a lot to owe to that. Not in a you know plagiaristic kind of way, but just. Um, it, it's that kind of movie where this is really meant for you to feel for somebody that's in a desperate situation. Right. And he it, was doing this desperate act yeah. to try to get across what the the situation that he's in because yeah. nobody will listen to him. Yeah. And um, I thought just like it almost you could almost maybe do this as a theater piece or because yeah. it's is so much just in the bank between yeah. him and these two women and talking to the negotiator over the phone yeah. that um it's very it actually ends up being a very small story yeah. that and it's not and it's not a bank heist movie in the way you think it yeah, is it's more not. about this person trying to get across like that he's owed this thing that um that is being he, he's not being given and he's and you find out by the end like what kind of person he really is um and as going in you think he's this dangerous person but by the end you just you see him as this hurt desperate person um trying to make make something right that's been wrong and it's interesting especially right now um not not to overanalyze but but in a country where you have people of different levels of desperation or different places of mental illness or different uh, where it's it's very much less about the the violent or criminal act they're committing and it's much more about trying to communicate in a in a world where they feel like no one hears them mm-hmm. uh, and yeah that's horrifying and terrible when it's yeah, something yeah. like a shooting yeah. But really, at the core of it, that's that's what's happening. Even if it's something with mental illness, it's somebody trying to say something, and they feel like they don't have another way to say it except through violence. Um, and so those kind of things were swirling through my head in just the right way mm-hmm. this entire time. I, I thought it was very thought-provoking, and it didn't feel polished and overproduced, and it didn't feel like a Michael Pay movie kind of thing. Um you know, it it really felt like something where the the characters are what matter, and really at the heart of this is is a man who who does genuinely feels like he's out of options. Yeah. Um. And and the the links that that can push somebody to when they really feel like, you know, because logic tells you if you were in that situation, you wouldn't do something so stupid because that would risk your well-being and survival. And what if somebody gets hurt and all these things? But you don't – most people who can think that very easily have never been in a situation, myself included, where you're driven to that level of desperation mm-hmm. and need. And, you know, it, it was interesting thinking, like, what would I actually do if pushed to those extremes? Well, right, and and this this character specifically has such a history before the yeah. events of this that leading up to it, that you can kind of piece together and see how we got to this point. Yeah, and 
I, I also um, Michael Kenneth Williams yeah. is really good in this, yeah. and I really like that his his character and just like is really shining a light on looking at the situation from a different different angle in listening yeah. and seeing that this can end a different way than where all these people swirling around his character think it's going to go yeah and and inevitably inevitably know it's going to go and he knows there's another way out for this person as he's talking to him and his entire job is based on being able to empathize at that high of a level right and so you can imagine how frustrating it would be to be in a job where you're very empathetic it helps you do your job but you are part of a team that they require the exact opposite. Right. They need a level of or, or the ability to detach from empathy to be able to take care of something if it goes south. They need a a uh, finality to yeah. the, the situation and it, it to end. Yeah. And um, and to, to see his point of view is just yeah. con- contrary to what they yeah. um, are after. And in that in just in those two characters, like. In, in his performance, you can see that whole like conversation about like mental health yeah. and um and that side of 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 that that can help um these situations maybe not happen yeah. or go a different way. Yeah. Um it, it, I thought it was really well done yeah. and it, it's it was a lot more interesting than what you would think it could be. Yeah, I was I was pleasantly surprised. I also watched this after EO, and it had just enough fiction to it, just enough that it didn't leave me feeling like I wanted to hang myself from a ceiling fan. So, I, I'm, this I think was equally as sad by the end. It uh, is, <laughs> but man, I wish I wish I could explain <laughs> what happened in my heart and head. I, I do. I, it's like it's for some reason the part of me that knows something is not real. Like, I can suspend disbelief to 99% with a movie like Breaking, but I still know somewhere in there that this is fiction, and so it doesn't take me to the place of if if this was a documentary. Mm-hmm. EO, even though not a documentary, felt too real. It it took that extra percent. It was just 100%. And I, I, it's so stupid, but that, <laughs> that little 1% difference – is the world to me because in one I walk away, wow, that was an incredible movie. The other one I walk away like I really should eat more broccoli, and so should everyone else. But that's I feel like that's so much more successful, and that it is that's it is it totally is. I just don't like it as much. <laughs> it, it's stupid. I know because you want inter- you to a certain point you just want the entertainment side of it. Yes, yeah. I even even again even if it's just a percent or two. I want to feel like uh, that that I have escaped from reality into something that is safer, even if it's sad, even if it's hard to watch, even if it's whatever. You know, I like there's still a comfort in feeling a storyteller tell you a sad story. And don't get me wrong. EO is incredible storytelling, but it's such incredible storytelling that it stops feeling like storytelling. And it just, it really messed with me. Uh, even <laughs> sitting here, I'm getting sad thinking about it because I have spent my days since watching it trying to not think about that movie, mm. which is genuinely hard when a movie is that beautiful 
and that haunting and that and, and don't get me wrong it's not a bleak film there are times i don't know why i went back to eo sorry there are times in eo that will make you because it's a good piece of art that I, makes I you know. think about it <laughs> it will make you beam like there are moments in that mm-hmm. where it's just pure joy and yeah. and celebration and happiness and like i felt that too but it was like it it lifted me up in these moments and it just made the the crash hurt even more. They also talked. I know we're back on EO. I know but it's okay. They Jersey. They were talking about this and how we so much easier can place empathy on an animal. Yeah, yeah. And so that for might sure. be part of it. Yeah. Well, and that's like I had a lot of empathy for the character in Breaking, but I also still realize, you know, at at a realistic level. He is committing a crime. And no matter how desperate somebody is, this is not the way to handle it. Yeah. And so you have empathy, but you still recognize that that this is not, you know, when you're dealing with an animal. It's a pure innocent. It's just, it, it, it is a, a pure, pure innocent. It's a, it's a pure good. Yeah. It, at, at worst, a neutral character like Jaws, uh, you know, but it's, it's not... Uh, you know, even Cujo, you go and watch something like Cujo. It's a dog with rabies. Mm-hmm. You know, the dog doesn't know what it's doing. It's still inherently sad. Um, so, yeah, I just and honestly, maybe it, I hadn't thought of the Winnie the Pooh connection, but Eeyore was was really big when I was a little kid mm-hmm. for me. And so maybe it just really tapped into that. Oh, man. <laughs> Okay, uh, so uh, while I am uh, speed dialing my therapist, uh, <laughs> Megan was kind of surprisingly generic, and Clint and I don't understand what all the fuss is about. If you love this movie, please write in and explain it to me. Maybe I was just in a bad mood and didn't get it. Maybe I didn't. I didn't want the R, the unrated cut. I wanted like the dancing cut where there was more dancing. <laughs> just more dancing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which actually would have been really funny. If it was this this AI toy acting more like a toy when it was doing awful things. Uh-huh. And that's what I thought the dancing and all that was. Like this is a feature built into the doll yeah, to if make she was it more, fun for kids. If she was more broken yes. but still was holding on to yeah. her programming yeah. in some way yeah. and not so just like methodical yeah. in her killing, that would have been more if fun. If the AI was less real yeah, of an AI, yeah, yeah, less yeah. human, and it was it – was, it's just a smart toy. Yeah. And so it, it's doing its toy things, which are innocent and sweet, but it's also killing people. So it's super creepy to see it dancing down the hall when it's- Oh, that would be so- So that, much better. Yeah. Anyway. We, just, uh, we solved it. We did. We did. We solved that one. Uh, EO, which Clint is, is you know, it's just, it's a rapturously beautiful film uh, that uh, made me want to not live as long as I hopefully will. And then Breaking, uh, which both of us uh, were pleasantly surprised by. It's a really, you don't get dramas a lot like this anymore. Usually when it's something like this, this kind of thriller drama, uh, it's usually more action-oriented. And, and this was definitely more uh, character-centric. And like Clint said, could could be a stage play. It's just, it's really good acting Really good scenario, very thought-provoking. Uh, so, Clint, are you ready to spin up Cinetron? Let's do it. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, Ken. Okay. So I got a movie and I also have an idea attached okay. to this. I'm listening. What's the movie? Cinetron will probably be happy with this because it's kind of his cruelty. Yeah, that's um, true. <laughs> and maybe we should talk to him when we do this too. Oh, that would be fun. We haven't done that in a while. I yeah. agree. So this movie is from 1988. Oh, okay. Um, which might sound familiar to you. Yeah, we did uh, two episodes, I think. Did we do two or just did well, one? Well, we did one episode on 88 and then we talked about the 80s. But we did a whole episode just on like three movies from 1988. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget how we got into it, but that was a lot of fun. So it'd be 1988 revisited. So we're, oh, so so we're we going to do... We would do all movies from 1988? All movies from 1988. I'm digging and this. And our Cinetron pick okay. is Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Oh, Clint, no. <laughs> Clint, 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 no. I, so cards on the table. I've never seen this movie. Me either. And I've never seen this movie for a reason. Okay. Because this kind of stuff, like looking at those things, that... It's horrifying to me. I hate those. Des- they're incredible designs. I hate looking at those things. You're going to make me do this, aren't you? I am. It's happening. Cinetron is oh. making us do it. All right. It's cruel, cruel uh, overlord. Right. Yes. 100%. We should do a 1988 episode. Uh, so if you're listening, send us some questions about the 80s. Send us some thoughts on 80s movies. Because if I'm not mistaken, 88 is like, uh, it's it's kind of a quintessential year. Um in 80s films, it's it's a bunch of movies that you would be like, oh, I, I love that movie. I love that movie. I love that movie. Mm-hmm. Twins and what else is 88? Mac and uh, Me. Mac <laughs> and Me. And last time we talked about Beetlejuice and yeah. uh, Rain Man is one that came out mm-hmm. in 88. 88 is a packed year. So I, I definitely think there's no shortage of uh, movies. Die Hard. Die Hard was 88? Yeah. Oh, Young man. Guns. I would love to revisit like Die Hard and Young Guns. Yeah, and, yeah. Oh, Rambo this, Three. Oh, <laughs> that's the one with the Taliban in Af. Uh, it's like Afghanistan. And oh, okay. Arming the Taliban fighters, and it's super uncomfortable to watch today because mm-hmm. they're talking about like the heroic Taliban, and uh-huh. you're like, no, 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 guys. <laughs> I'm from the future. Be careful. Mm-hmm. All right, this Akira. sounds awesome. Ah, oh, Clint. Oh, I'm getting. I feel so like we talked now. about. We did talk about Akira when we. Well, did. we talked about. We talked about our top. I think we yeah, did like yeah. a top ten yeah, movies yeah. from '88. Yeah. But we didn't review yeah. or really dig into Akira or or some of these. So mm-hmm. yeah, we'll we'll figure out what specific movies to talk about at length. But oh heck yeah, let's 1988. Join us in 1988, kids, and and we're going to have a good time. Send any questions in, like Ken said. It'll be a good time. All right. Well, uh, thanks, as always, for listening. You can find us at www.cinebabblecast.com, or you can find us at Cinebabble on Instagram. Uh, We're not really anywhere else because we're scared of the future. Um, But uh, plenty of ways to get a hold of us. Send in those comments. Send in those questions. Homing pigeon. Homing pigeon. Yeah, I mean, sure. Uh, Game of Thrones Ravens. Just send yes. one. We're good. Winter's coming. Uh, and and we'll we'll continue answering. It's a lot of fun. And honestly, it gives us way more to talk about than what's in our brain. So this has been episode 76 of Cinebabble. Thanks for listening. And Clint, you have yourself a wonderful Oscars. Uh, don't, don't screw up the hosting. And uh, don't be racist. Please don't get up and slap me. I have... Don't be racist. I have some plants to do you that. You're not... My wife's name... <laughs> Rachel! (laughs) All right, see you, Clint. Bye.